Welcome back to another episode of the Nomad Barista podcast. I'm your host, Brody Vissers, and I scour the globe meeting coffee professionals and other creatives from around the world who have really paved their own unique path. Those who have nailed their niche, they've designed their own lifestyle around what they love. And in this episode, I'm actually sharing with you a recording that we made while I was sitting down with a roasters panel on stage at a local coffee festival here in Barcelona called Barcelona Coffee Awards. It was a great time. You should definitely come by next year if you're around, but uh, I'm actually not a roaster. Some of you, most of you should know that, but it was great to hear from a few people who are much closer to the craft on a daily basis. So we had Bogdan Georgescu roasting in Romania with Mabo Coffee, Miguel Lamora in Barcelona with Atman's Coffee and Daniela Novitsky from Germany representing the roaster manufacturer Probat which if you know anything about roasting, I'm sure you've heard of this brand. So we had a nice chat about some of the biggest trends in coffee roasting, past, present, future, different geographical trends. And we also discussed marketing techniques and advice for specialty coffee roasters. We also dug into some maybe trickier topics regarding how high to price coffee and even their individual thoughts on Omni Roast. This episode is brought to you by Wakako, a brand of portable coffee brewers that are completely hand-powered and I've been using all of their gear for years. My most recent favorite being the Pico Presso because it just makes the most authentic double espresso that any of you might expect from walking into a nice specialty coffee shop. Hand grinders, scales, and a range of other brewers, both espresso and filter, that are not only compact but durable enough for any adventure. So to support this podcast, please check them out down in the description. And now let's get right into it. Let's start here with Daniela and uh, tell us a little bit about where are you based and what's your involvement in, in roasting and, and maybe also how long you've been involved with, with coffee in general. So yeah, hi everybody. My name is Daniela and I work since 21 years for the Probat company. We are building roasters from pretty small sizes up to super big. And I am the roasting trainer. So whenever a person decides to buy a roaster for the specialty coffee, I could let them know how to use it or they just got to figure it out by themselves. And of course, we are there to answer all the questions that might arise when it comes to the roasting process. Uh, hey, guys, thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, my name is Bogdan. I'm, um, I'm coming from Romania. Uh, I started a coffee shop uh, three years ago called the Mabo Coffee, coffee shop and roastery. And uh, I've been roasting since uh, 2015. Uh, well, first two years I was roasting at home on a like, very small roaster. And um, I all the time liked competitions, like any type of competition. So I, I was competing for uh, roasting. And uh, I was lucky enough to be the world coffee roasting vice champion in 2019. Uh, not very lucky because I lost the first place, but still. And uh, now uh, I'm roasting for my own company called Mabo Coffee, and we are based in Bucharest, Romania. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Miguel. Uh, I've been working in specialty coffee for 20 years now. I'm based here in Barcelona, but I'm from La Coruña, northwest of, of Spain. Uh, in all these years, uh, I've been barista, I've been trainer, I've uh, been managing coffee shops, moved to London, I've been competing, got twice the Spanish Large Championship and placed third in the walls and best in Europe back in 2013. Uh, 
came back from London 2016 to open Adman's Coffee, the, the company I'm running right now. I started as one of the first multi-roaster cafes in, in, in the country. Uh, unfortunately, I had to close the, the year after, but uh, it's when I started to roast for my previous company until last year, more or less, when I took over Admans. And in between, I've uh, been also the national coordinator for the specialty coffee association for, for Spain. And since last year, as I said, uh, I started over with Admans Coffee right now as a specialty roastery here in Barcelona. Um, well, let's see how it points. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. I, I have another question because I love process. I love backstory. I love history. So this is something that has to do more with the, the name. So the name of each of the, you know, Probat, Mabol, Atmans. I'm curious where you came up with it. What inspired you to have, in your case, maybe you didn't come up with the name, but uh, I want to hear a little bit of the backstory if you, if you have it. Yeah, of course we have it. And um, in the beginning, the Probat company, it was called Emmericher Eisengießerei und Maschinenfabrik. Da, 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 da. So very very easy to say. Really easy name for everybody who was not German. And um, by the time that we actually went to people to introduce our machines who did not speak German, we found out we need to find a different name. And uh, the probat comes from the Latin word, so it just means it's the perfect medium to roast your coffee. And uh, this is just what became our company's name in 1959. And ever since, we have that as our company logo. And I think it's quite well known. So It's very well known. Thank you. Well, I don't have uh, such an extraordinary story. Our, our name is, is made of uh, two names. One is uh, uh, MA stands for Marius. BO stands for Bogdan. And the little sign here is because fashion. So... And it looks African, so everybody's asking, so what is coming from Africa? No. It's very stylish. I like the name. Well, Admans is a word from Sanskrit, which means the uh, means the essence, the 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 soul, the well, is what I feel about coffee. That uh, each coffee has its own Admans, and let's say my work is to let everybody of you know about what I feel about. Uh, the coffee love it awesome um and i have another question sort of uh to catch you off guard i know some of you already know it but i'm curious if you could give us a little bit of a a sense of your opinion and your feeling around the term omni roast and i'll, I'll give a little bit of a definition for people who, who don't know but i'm open to hearing your definitions as well omni meaning sort of all or everything and a roast, instead of being light roast, dark roast, it's a roast that can be applied for, uh, or maybe instead of filter and espresso roast, it's a it's a roast that can be used in filter and espresso. So it's a bit of a controversial concept, and I'm curious to hear your opinions on it. A bit of controversial is uh, quite well said because there's a lot of different opinions on that. And for me personally, I would say, if you do have a really good barista who knows how to set the grinder and who knows about the preparation well, then Omni Roast could work. But in most cases, you probably get a filter or an espresso, which is okay, but not super nice. And you would probably do better to have a roasting profile for each one of them. 
but it's really depending also on how much you do need it. If you really know you only need a few of the filter and you need more espresso, then maybe it could be done. But still, for me personally, I would rather like it better if you have different profiles for the different beverages. Thank you. I think it's uh, just like the comparison with the schools of Kung Fu. There are many schools of Kung Fu and uh, all of them, they are very different. And if you do one thing in one school of Kung Fu, the other sensei will say, this is very bad, you don't do that. So I think with the Omni Roast, it's a better of perspective of the roaster. If the roasters, for example, we are doing only Omni Roast, uh, but we have a we have a blend and we have a, an espresso coffee and a lot of people are buying espresso coffee because they, they feel like they can do better espresso with the espresso coffee. But we just put the name espresso because you can, with the espresso coffee, you can do filter. So I think it's... Um, more marketing involved here because we go to to some of the coffee shops and say, okay, you don't have two stocks of coffee. You don't have to Guatemala, one filter, one espresso. So you're going to sell whatever you have. No, not facing the issue of coming the customer say, hey, I want filter. Ah, sorry, I don't have only espresso. Uh, but on the other hand, we realized that we have to turn down some of the coffees, which were very good, but they were very good for filter. If we try to go into the more espresso, let's say, style of roasting, the, the coffee is went bad. Like it is not possible anymore to make filter because it's not brittle anymore, it's not uh, soluble. You get the roasty flavors in the coffee. So therefore we are choosing only coffees to have in the portfolio, which can fit in both worlds. Okay, for me, it's a little bit more about your understanding about coffee and the bean and your way of work and also as you said uh, or you said about how many kilos you roast okay for me the the coffee forms to be prepared in a method okay so when i cut the green uh, after all this experience i think how this coffee can work better so when i select the green i bought it for this specific method uh, for example, in my case, I do Omni Rose, how we call it like this, but I recommend to my customers to use it in the method uh, I bought the coffee for. So in terms of, for example, I have like a 15 kilo roaster uh, and I've ordered like two kilos of one filter. You have to struggle in, in this case. So mm, that's why I prefer to think that one coffee should be prepared only or filter or only or espresso and I don't differentiate uh, in the in the time to make the profiling. Let's say I don't do two profiles for filter or for espresso from the same coffee. I just bought it for one specific method. I love that. Everyone has a slightly different approach and it's, uh, you know, as you can see, it's a little bit more on some of it's a logistical thing, some of it's a preference thing and also this is what I loved about specialty coffee as well is you're trying, each roaster is trying to bring out the characteristics of a specific bean. It's not that they're trying to give it specific characteristics, right? So that's the curation of a, the job of a roaster. So I love that. Thank you for, for sharing a uh, lot of sour espressos, but uh, if you find the right, as you, as you mentioned, the good barista and you have a good equipment and you have, you know, good water, all these things uh, have a, have a place to, to play in this. So just a bit more of a context question. I'm curious how much uh, this would be more relevant for you two roasters, but how much volume of coffee 
do you do per year just to kind of give people a sense of of how much uh, coffee you have? Well, this year, I think we're going to do 50 to 60 tons uh, this year. So we do uh, four to five tons per month. And it's, uh, it's it's very complicated to to estimate at this moment what we're gonna what we are gonna do this year because we we were growing every year we were doubling the business since we started. Uh, I don't think we're gonna double again this year, but uh, usually the last three or four months of the year they are like super huge compared to the. I think we do in the last uh, trimester whatever we do in the the whole year. Ah, that's interesting. How big is your roaster? How big? Uh, we have a Probat uh, 12 kilogram. And why? Do you know why at the end of the year it's more orders? I think people drink more coffee at the end of the year. For for I don't know. It's, it's getting it's, colder. It's getting like it's the end of the world, and you need to buy more coffee to have it at home. We see on the on the website, <laughs> the orders are getting bigger. Or wholesale, but wholesale it's understandable because the more people are getting into a coffee shop, the more coffee the guy is gonna buy. Uh, but it's it's a very good period. At least in our region, I don't know here in Spain, but I think it's more let's say uniform because the weather is fine, so you can go all the time to stay outside. Even I, I came here sometimes during the winter in January, and there were like 12 to 15 degrees. If it's sunny in 12 degrees or 15, you can stay in a shirt, in a t-shirt, yeah, so no problem. In Romania, weather becomes like very nasty in the summer when it's like 40 degrees or 45, or very nasty in the winter when it's minus three. So the, the period of when people are consuming, but uh, it is very small. But now, uh, thank God to uh, climate change, we are having the, the more good weather to accommodate more people staying outside. So in my case, uh, we started back, as we said before, like one year, not even and a half ago uh, with uh, Atmos Roastery. So I bought the Bullet, the Aelio, the, well, this promotion. If you want to go to the 42, uh, we are doing the live roasting. And this is machine I'm using. It's one kilo machine. Uh, I started like with three, four kilos a week. Uh, right now we are doing like 80 to 120 kilos a week with that machine. So I always think kilo by kilo by kilo all over the week. I'm really stressed, but since we started, uh, I've done like uh, two and a half tons already within a year. So I hope next year we can grow. We're going to kill it. Huh? We're going to kill the bullet. No, not really. <laughs> when I, kill myself. I know some good bigger machines, so it might be less stressful. Yeah. Than, yeah, yeah. Really? Come on, try it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'll pass by later. And where do you two distribute your coffee around? Is it around uh, Spain, Romania, but outside of? those countries around Europe, around the world, you're also selling? Uh, yes, we are selling. Uh, now our business is uh, made of three directions. One is wholesale, means to other coffee shops. One is retail, our two coffee shops, and uh, one is a website. And we do 60, 62% uh, wholesale. And out of this 62% wholesale, we got to roughly 30% outside of Romania. And we have some uh, some some spots where we, are, where we see more more coffees uh, being bought from us. One is Eastern Europe, uh, Slovakia, Czech Republic, Poland. Uh, now we started in France, France, Germany. Uh, UK, not so much because they have taxes, they have import, whatever, I don't know. It's But it stopped completely in the UK. 
last year we started uh, in the Gulf area, which is uh, Saudi, Oman, Qatar, Emirates. We are selling a lot of coffees. But now, because they have a lot of money in the very short period of time, everybody start to build roastery in the in that area. So basically, everybody is doing like very good business. So Probat, uh, Loring, uh, Gizan, everybody's like full in that uh, area. Um, in China, not so much. I think it's the third region for us. Uh, but you know, when they buy, they buy huge quantities because the timing is is very long, and they need to keep the coffee in the customs. They need a lot of papers. It's complicated, but it's a very good region for us. So basically, these three regions are the most. The U.S. not so much. South America never. Miguel. Well, in my case, uh, because I forgot the bullet, one kilo. My main focus was in holes, uh, in retail, uh, the website. But it's very hard to 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 get you know to the people uh, without existing. So I started uh, slowly the whole wholesale business with some uh, clients in, in Madrid, for example. Uh, during this year, I totally focused in trying to get more coffee shops for a more stable business because I couldn't relay on the online sales, okay? So right now I'm selling here in Barcelona, Valencia, Madrid, uh, Mallorca, Dublin, Bucharest, uh, Cyprus, um, so a little bit all over Europe, fortunately. Daniela, do you have any feedback, any anything to add to this? The only thing that we see is that um, yet the roasting is like when you say you're going to export it to all of the different places, it's like the same like around the roasters. So the roasters are also sold worldwide and it's it's having places where it's still growing it's having places where it's it's just not really at, on the spot yet but i think the the coffee is getting still super important everywhere and depending on the quality that you're having you can just get your foot in almost every market so it's, it's super important for the manufacturer of the machines that there's always people doing a good job with the machine so and this will just make the whole life of the coffee much better can you share some of your biggest markets for Probat? Um, at the moment, it's still uh, like the, the German, Austrian, European market is quite big. Uh, we are growing in the um, Eastern European parts. We do get uh, the business started also in uh, Saudi. So this is uh, where people actually have the money to just go buy the roaster. And um, as for the rest, there's uh, the Indian market, the Asian market is quite big. But this is um, sometimes more of the industrial size roasters and not necessarily the small specialty ones. No, it's different everywhere. That's interesting. India, you said. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, growing coffee, specialty coffee community in, in India. Very interesting. Um, I wanted to switch gears a little bit going into the roasting styles. You know, obviously, over the last 10, 10 15, 20 years, the style of roasting coffee has changed a lot. Um, and also, now it's starting to change per region potentially of course there were specific regions that may have influenced some of that or instigated those changes we, we've all heard of the nordic roast you know a little bit lighter uh of course we have the italian or french roast which tends to be a little bit darker um i'm curious if you could comment generally first on where you feel roasting trends have come from how they've changed over the last few years and then where they're going in general and then specifically, I'd like to hear a little bit more regional. You know, some of your, 
Have you noticed any differences between different regions? You know, maybe in Romania, it's a little bit different than in, in Spain, a little bit different in Germany. And also what, you know, because you said you're, you're selling to China, for example, or the, or the Gulf region. Do you notice any specific um, requests or, or styles that people are preferring? So sort of two-sided question, but let's start with the first one. Where has coffee roasting come from and where do you think it's going to go? Yeah, so for us, uh, from the machine building side, is it's definitely, it all started like from the, let's say, big guys. And uh, when they roasted the industrial style coffee, all of a sudden people found out that there could be much more to coffee. And then all the specialty roasters, they popped back up because they used to be like hundreds of years ago or hundred years ago. And uh, then the, the quality of the coffee just became like a general drinking something and it did not be something really luxury and not something special and this luckily has changed over the past let's say probably 20 years to be dramatically different and this also forces like the big industrial roasteries to think about their quality and think about the coffees they buy and think about the way how they roast it and this is actually making us really happy because Sometimes we get people coming in and they think that with the size of the roastery or the size of the roaster, they don't really play a big role. But for us, we can really say that they do because they force the big guys to really change their thinking when it comes to coffee roasting. And so this is all just resulting in much better coffee for us, much more varieties that we can enjoy. And um, to answer the second question is, of course, also in Germany, we do have that that regional roasting behavior and we can of course see that for example in like big cities like berlin Düsseldorf, there is always the place for new trends but when you move on to like smaller areas smaller towns it's more or less that people kind of tend to buy in roasted coffee what they know from like the supermarkets so the specialty roasteries and the smaller areas they they kind of orientate themselves where the big guys are roasting so that they don't really kind of slap their customer in the face, but they get more and more customers being interested into all the new trends, all the new coffees. And this is what makes it really interesting. So there is a lot of change still going on. And <laughs> slap the customer in the face, uh, figuratively speaking, of course. So I think uh, the, the question is, it's very complex to answer. In my opinion, I think it's even impossible. On, on one hand, you're in a very good position because with the roaster, you can do whatever you want. You can do from Italian style to Nordic style. So the, they are in like super good position of selling the machine, can do anything. On the other hand, in a very short period of time, I saw going ups and downs with roasting. And now it was, I think several years ago, everybody wanted to go light. So like a third wave, light coffee, super light coffee, but the coffee was underdeveloped and people were calling it light. Uh, they were using uh, f to, to extract espresso with some special burrs. They did uh, filter coffee, which was like a very sour, nobody, uh, super high acidity, tastes like uh, grass. But they were calling it light coffee because it, this is the third wave. And if you didn't understand it, you were stupid. Not them, but you were stupid. Now, uh, I think it, it, it moves back. So the people start to develop a little bit more the coffees because a lot of guys... Uh, trying to come from the commodity coffee because we are inviting everybody. Okay, come come to try specialty coffee. This is very good coffee, not the shitty coffee you are buying from the supermarket. And they were saying, okay, I want to come. And they ended up in a coffee shop with a very light coffee, under-extracted, underdeveloped in the roaster. And uh, what am I supposed to say as a consumer? Okay, I don't like this specialty coffee because it's not good. I like the regular coffee. 
So now people tend to go back. And I think the trend eventually is going to go to good coffee. So good coffee is going to be every time good coffee. If you put specialty coffee, there is no police of specialty coffee. So if you put specialty coffee on the wall, nobody's going to come and change and uh, give you a fine because you said specialty coffee and it's not specialty coffee. Because we know a lot of uh, big companies that are uh, traditionally roasting like very dark and they want to... Uh, to touch the consumer, the new consumer, with this trend of specialty coffee. And instead of putting uh, whatever type of blend, the crema, aroma, whatever, oro, they put uh, Colombia, they put India, they put Brazil, because it's more fancy and the, the region where the coffee comes from looks more appealing to the new wave of people that they are willing to drink specialty coffee, which of course is not specialty coffee, but they are calling it. Again, police is not coming to find them because they put something which is not true on the bag. So basically that's it. I think the, the consumer will make the final decision and they will start to buy good coffee, uh, regardless if it's a specialty coffee, 83 points, 89 points uh, from El Salvador, from Colombia, because we are doing the second mistake as a, as a roaster and as a specialty coffee uh, roastery. We, we tell the people that the Kenyan coffee tastes like uh, tomatoes which is not true. This is like explaining a, a kid from Africa, what's the taste of the apple? So what was the taste of the apple, right? You cannot explain. So you're going to tell them, okay, the taste of the apple is like a Colombian coffee with, with some chocolate? No, it's not true. So we are doing this constantly and the consumer is getting uh, super frustrated because they are not going to feel the taste of strawberry and apples. They are going to taste like coffee, which can be good or bad because that's, that's the... The, the values the customers are giving. It's good or bad. That's it. They don't have, you know, acidity, 3.5, uh, body, three, they don't know. So I think it's going to be final decision that good coffee is going to be good coffee and there's going to be a line where good coffee will stay and that's it. A little more standardized, potentially. And I like what you said about the, you kind of explained it without saying the word, but for me, there's always a pendulum that's swinging back and forth while we try to find a little bit of that center, right? As you mentioned, the super grassy, underdeveloped coffees, that was interesting for a lot of people who only had roasty, dark roasts, uh, you know, very bitter coffees in the past. And so we're kind of finding our middle, some uh, a little bit faster than others. But Miguel, I wanna, I wanna hear from you. Yeah, I agree with part of both of you guys. Uh, for me, in all these years, and what I've seen on, or what I understood, is first of all a little bit about the philosophy about how you work okay and uh, i think the first thing that helped the industry to differentiate from the big companies and the very dark style of rose was to to showcase what is the specialty was doing the totally opposite which is a very light rose and try to get the best out of the bean but because on the very early stage, you don't know how to do it. Probably the most of the coffees, they, they've been underdeveloped. And the last 15, 20 years, everything is coming to the right point. But also what I, I've seen or what I've noticed is many companies that they started like very purist or very specialty-wise, they're adapting to the darker roles to try to get to more people. So coming back again to the philosophy uh, point of view, uh, is up to what you want to do in, in, in your company or where you want to reach. So you stay there in the most purity side where you get to the right point where the coffee is not underdeveloped but is very good or you want to go a little bit 
over rows to try to get to more people. So I think it's a little bit like this. And uh, another thing I wanted to say, uh, some some role some uh, coffee shops were requesting from us and they were telling us, hey, this uh, Colombian is a bit uh, overdeveloped. Can you develop a bit less or can you roast uh, less degrees or less time or whatever they understood of roasting and um, I was told in the beginning like many years ago I was tend to say okay maybe the coffee is underdeveloped or maybe the coffee but I was testing it I, and I knew it was not um, then I realized it doesn't make any sense to to roast uh, for every customer because you have like a lot of customers they will have different water different equipment uh, different knowledge how to extract the coffee but you test it and you you know it's good So, so therefore, it's pardon my French, but we tell them thank you very much for your feedback, but we are not going to do it. But of course, the corporate uh, person of me is saying, uh, can you please try again to readjust your grinder or do whatever you want to do, that because the coffee tastes good. And when they come to our coffee shop, if they are from Bucharest, for example, or very close, they can come and they see, oh, the coffee is different. Yeah, because we have different water, different grinder, different uh, way of extracting the coffee. We can teach you how to do it. But eventually we cannot roast different ways just because you say it's too dark or too light. Because this doesn't mean anything. If you go to uh, to Denmark, they will say uh, the coffee is very dark. With the same coffee you go to Portugal, they will say it's very light. They cannot drink it. So which one is it? Is it too light or too dark? Yeah, I think it's always a compromise that you kind of need to find so that you can actually sell and roast what you believe in. But on the other hand, you also, of course, need to make a living from it. But then you you kind of have to still do what you feel comfortable with. It's a fine line. It's a, like you said, it's a compromise. How are you going to find the compromise that you're comfortable with? What I'm extracting from this too is that um, you know how do you find that point of compromise where you you know what you're providing, you know what you want to provide, but you also want to at the end of the day you have to sell coffee. Otherwise, your business is not going to continue to exist. Um, but but this is like selling good coffee. I, I don't want to compromise anything. I just make the coffee as best as I can. If it's good, I sell it. If it's not good, I move to a different coffee. I don't buy it or I don't know. But I don't want to compromise anything just because I want to sell coffee. Because if, if the coffee is good, it's going to be very easy to sell anyway. Yeah, and it comes back to marketing too, which we're going to get into in a second here. You're, it's about finding your target audience. You, like you said, you're not going to make it perfect for everyone. You got to find the people who like what you do And potentially those people who know how to get the right water, the right equipment, they want to take their game to, to the next level and, and to make better coffee at home. Uh, but it's good that people are coming to the roastery. They're saying, oh, this is the potential that this coffee has. How can I meet, kind of come halfway maybe, rather than have the coffee come down, I don't want to say down to the customer, um, you know, but meeting meeting sort of that, uh, that middle ground. But what I want to get into next, because um, we spoke a little bit about the roasting styles, where they came from, where they're going and finding that sort of middle ground, also how it varies by region. Um, do you, maybe we can get into that very briefly, some of the places that you send coffee to, or even the places where you roast coffee, where you're based, do you notice a big difference or any specific interesting markets where they're maybe asking for specific styles of roast? As you mentioned, you know, Denmark versus Portugal, uh, or even China versus uh, United Arab Emirates. I'm curious to hear some feedback there. Uh, so sometimes we have the questions for, from people saying that, so I, I'm, I'm going to say exactly what the question is. Is your coffee light or medium light? What shall I answer in this case? 
I have literally no idea how is my coffee in your perception. I know how is my coffee because I do it. I know Actron color. I know solubility. I know if it's good for espresso or not. I know if you can extract it on espresso on a regular burst or you need to use SSP high uniformity or whatever you need to put. But I have no fucking clue if it's light or medium light because I don't know. And um, we tend not to to answer this question in, in a matter of it's, it's light or it's medium because we don't know. We had a situation, we sent some coffee. We had a, requ we had a request from Portugal. They were saying, okay, we are doing guest roaster for filter only because we do espresso our own. I said, okay. So they wanted uh, filter coffee. So I, I sent to my colleagues, okay, so let's send. We, we had a Colombian, which was uh, roasted for uh, espresso. And I said, okay, send this coffee. Uh, it doesn't matter, it says on the bag espresso. Just said, tell them to make filter. They made the filter. The first week they said, yeah, well, you know, it's too light, it's too sour. The customer doesn't like it. And then after one week they say, okay, no, this is very good. We managed to extract it in a way that it's super good and the customers love it. And then we have the same situation. We sent some coffees in the in Amsterdam to a, a coffee shop which was using like super light coffees and they were doing only super specialty whatever. And we said the lightest coffee we have and they said, no, sorry, this is too dark. Wow, so, big difference. Yeah, exactly. So we decided not to... Uh, to take a look at what customer wants. We take a look at what we consider is good coffee and good roasting, and we are promoting and selling that product. Totally agree, because if you try to get to everybody, it's super hard because you get so confused and you don't know what you're doing. For example, I used to work uh, with uh, for a Saudi guy. Uh, um, the coffee that they were really good developed here and you were extracting in espresso or filter very nicely. Over there, they were very light, so you had to over roast this coffee compared to what you are doing here in Spain. So, as we said before, I think you have to do whatever you want to do, how you believe in it, and then try to get your customers that they can fit into into your style. Because if not, uh, you're gonna get mad trying to adapt to everybody. I mean, it's the same what we figure out when it comes to the roasting. When people come to the class, they always ask, so which coffee should we roast? Which coffee would sell best? I have no idea because they come from all over the world. And even if I would give them a recipe, what in a lot of cases they ask, so is there a recipe already saved in the machine that I can use? No, because just because I think this coffee is good for me and good for my preparation method and good with my water does not mean that it's just working out for everybody else. And this is exactly what, what you were saying as well. So it's it's really depending on who is roasting and who will buy this coffee and who will prepare this coffee in which method. So it's, it's really just not possible to please everybody with just one way of doing it. You can send them to me. I can sell a Colombian profile and Ethiopian profile for 200 euro very easy. I can do that too, but so if like, they will like it, hmm, we don't know. <laughs> I would think that. <laughs> There's maybe a starting place that could that could work well. Um, going back to coffee quality, what is good coffee, what is not? Some of that is indicated by the roasting profile, but so, a lot of it comes from the the green bean itself. I, all of you will will admit you have to use good ingredients in order to make a good product. Switching gears a little bit and coming back to the coffee, even marketing and labeling, you know, we're talking about, should you put specialty coffee on the bag? In fact, if most of you have gone to the roasters around the event today, 
very few of them put specialty coffee on the bag. Maybe they do sometimes for different reasons, but um, I'm curious, going back to the green bean quality, different green beans, different coffees are often graded at with different numbers, right? If it's over 80 or some might say over 85, it would be considered specialty coffee. Why is it that most roasters don't actually put the number on the bag that was graded? Would it not be, this is more of my own curiosity and probably some people in the, in the audience, would it not be a good selling point to say this coffee was graded at 86 or this coffee was graded at 89? You might put 90 plus. I see that a lot, but I'm curious to hear some of your feedback because I don't see it that much on, on coffee bags. I think it was something trendy because years ago, uh, many specialty roasters, they started to put to this very, this, sorry, to differentiate the, they sell from other specialty roasters to show, okay, like we are better. We're using like a high score number coffee, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, at the end, I think what you have to do is to try a lot of coffees and, and get the ones you, you they can fit into your style of roasting or understanding the 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 coffee itself so i don't think that scoring the uh, the bag or putting like this specialty coffee will help a lot to your own business compared to the rest of your competitors let's say you only have to uh, differentiate from the bigger companies that they are the commercial ones and they are trying to do our style i mean uh, many big companies sometimes they are putting specialty coffee to try to adapt to our markets and to differentiate themselves from what they are actually they they are doing so for us we don't need to to say this because we are really doing it you know Sometimes there's also coffees which might not have that high ranking in points, but they're still super good. And you kind of would keep this experience from the customer if they would just check for like the high points. They're going to miss out on some really good taste and some really good roasting abilities just because the number is probably then in their thinking not the right number. Uh, you're prejudging. Exactly. And this is, we want our customers to judge and see did we do a good job with choosing the greens, with roasting them to whatever we think would be perfect for the coffees? And in some other cases, having a great coffee and having an extraordinary coffee, the difference is often so small that the general customer probably could not make that difference, but has to pay a lot more money just to to be able to 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 pay for that green beans. So also here, it's if 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 you have a coffee which is super great, it should show by the coffee and not by the number of the bag. That that's very correct. The, I can tell you why we don't we don't put the the number anymore on the bag, because we had situations where, well, first of all, I think it's a lie, and it's a marketing tool. Uh, second, we realized that we had some coffees of eighty five points, and they were much better than some coffees of eighty seven points. And in the beginning, I didn't understand why, but then I realized the points. Is not, I like it, I don't like it. It's a matter of technical quality. So it, if it has some technicalities in that coffee, then you score 86 points. It doesn't mean that 86 points coffee, it's it's worse than 88 point coffee. The 88 point coffee may be an Ethiopian that tastes like uh, apricot and uh, some, some teas. And the uh, Colombian, which is 85, can taste like uh, apple and uh, chocolate. If I like apple and chocolate, I'm not going to say, the 88-point 80, coffee is going to be better. No, because I like chocolate. 
So it's not a problem of liking. And then I feel it's a lie. So uh, the thing is that uh, the grading is made of green coffee plus roasted coffee. I can do the green grading on the on the green coffee, but I cannot do on the roasted coffee because it was done by somebody else on a, on a different roast. And my roast maybe is 89 points. What, do I put 86 because it's 86 in the, in the distribution list? Fuck no, I want to put 89. Uh, I, I don't agree that it's 100% lie, uh, because I think everything has to be measured if, somehow. If, if it's 60% lie, it's a lie. Well, I think everything has to be more or less measured to have like a standard or starting point. So what I'm trying to say here is uh, one 86 points Colombian and uh, 86 points uh, Ethiopian why the most of the times the Ethiopian always wins. So you have to do this scoring and overall, not only based in, in, in one coffee, it's, if not all the coffees you have around. So you need to have like a lot of experience to be able to grade. Exactly. In maybe, that case, maybe you and I, I we understand. That a lie. But the, the customer, they won't understand. And they would ask why uh, 86 point totally coffee agree. is better than 89 point coffee. It's based on, on your personal taste, the most. So that's what I'm saying. And I agree that it's not 100% a lie, but how? Because if you say something that's like subjective, your opinion, you can't tell someone your opinion is a lie. But I understand where you're coming from too, because it's because it's subjective and it passes through different stages where you might indicate at the farm, it was this point. Then when it arrives to the warehouse, what's the point now? And now after roasting, what's the point now? Has it rested? Is it old crop? And next year... What's going to be the point? Exactly. So very good analysis. Let's move up. We got five minutes left to kind of wrap this up. Uh, we're going to maybe end on a hopefully more straightforward question, but none of these will be that straightforward. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about pricing. Okay. So pricing is a, at the end of the day, people will buy coffee. Majority of a lot of people will buy coffee based on how much they can afford and, and, because people are drinking coffee every day. They don't want to be spending too much on a, on a daily drink. But if we compare it to other industries, such as wine, for example, we have a very, very large price range, right? You can, here in Spain, you can buy a bottle of wine for two euros. You can also buy a bottle of wine for a thousand euros. So with coffee, what are your opinions in terms of keeping it, keeping coffee affordable for everyone, that it's sort of a, something that everyone, you know, sort of a, a simple luxury that everyone can partake in? while also keeping in mind, you know, maybe there's this space where people want to just, they have more money or they, they have, they prioritize good coffee and they want to spend more. I see, this is my opinion. This is my uh, observation here in Spain. There's not so much of the upper end. I haven't seen it as much It's or if it does happen, it's very infrequent. We got sort of the mid range, but we don't have like 80 euro coffee bags of coffee or a hundred euro bags of coffee. So I'm curious to hear your, your opinion on this. So actually, last week, I had a customer in from uh, Hong Kong, and he told me that the new record in Hong Kong for a cup of coffee would be 100 euro, and it was just for a cup and not a kilo or anything. And um, if thinking of how much effort is put into that one cup of coffee in terms of getting the beans ripe, getting the tree to grow, getting all the people there to actually are involved into that, way of the coffee bean ending up in this cup, I would say maybe 100 euro is okay because then finally everybody would get the money that 
the coffee is hopefully worth. But on the other hand, of course, then the coffee would not be affordable for the rest. So there, there must be a product that fits into everybody's price range. And I think this is also, depending on the type of your roastery, you could either choose for the one of the two ends or you just say, okay, I, I'm trying to make different people happy in offering a, probably a blend or coffee that is not so super expensive. But if you do have the customers that are willing to pay that price in terms of how much effort it would actually be to get the coffee there, might be the right price then to ask for. I, I think um, I, I don't like uh, cheap coffees because not because they are cheap, but because they are bad. So basically our business is, uh, let's say, made of, uh, if we discuss in points from 86 to 89 points, uh, because I feel I can charge a correct amount of money for a bag or for an espresso or for a filter with, with this range of coffees. And also I, I like to work with more expensive coffees like uh, Geishas from Panama and some other, you know, uh, different varieties or, uh, or special processing methods that requires more more careful attention and more money to, to being produced. Uh, but I think uh, there will be two markets that, that will survive. One is the, the very expensive market and one is the very cheap market. We are not in that market because we are not interested. Some other players are going there. But we like to think that our coffee is, uh, is, is quite expensive and we are trying to, to offer it as a correct price for the customers. We don't want to get rich but we want to feel the customer they can afford to pay one cup of coffee per day or one bag per week or the depends how much they use it. And I think our philosophy, it, it, it's very close to what uh, one of the president from Gucci said. He was asked, why don't you decrease the price of your purses so everybody can afford? I said, no, we don't want to decrease the price of the purse. We want to search for the, for the right uh, target audience. So this is what we are trying to do. We, we try to search for the correct audience that understand why should you pay more on coffee because I'm telling, if I'm telling people who wants to buy coffee from the supermarket that you should pay because some farmer did like a very good job and the uh, traceability and whatever stuff, blah, 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 they don't care. Therefore, this is not my customer. They will buy from the supermarket anyway. So therefore, we are trying to, to find the correct customer for our price range and uh, to, to work with that. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, they have like a very huge range of different pricing for green coffee. Uh, and up to whatever you want to go for it, uh, you buy certain variety, let's say. So during the process, with your philosophy of working, blah, 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 you will find uh, these kind of customers that they are willing to pay either 100 euros if you want to go for it or five for, for a cup of coffee. But also uh, it's very interesting, as you said before, you as a roaster, uh, you also get bored of roasting all the time, the same kind of coffees. Uh, so you want this kind of challenge also because you're scaling up your level of tasting. So you want like a next step, a next step. And it's very funny and you don't get bored of your daily work if you try to get some very interesting and more expensive coffee with the time. So I think it's uh, natural that you try to do these things. It's a tricky question because it's it's sort of like the chicken or the egg, you know? Do you do you roast amazing coffees and sell it at a high price with no audience, or do you look for the audience first that will buy your expensive coffees and then go and roast it? So it's not so easy, but uh, but you had a lot of questions with like very hard answers. <laughs> it is like you planned it. 
I planned it out. I planned it out five minutes before. Brody. Big applause for these three. Thank you so much. Go find their, their stands. Go drink their coffee. And uh, thanks for coming. Thanks for participating. I don't know if we have time. Do we have time for questions? So we didn't record the questions, unfortunately. But if you listening do have some questions about roasting or specialty coffee in general, of course, I mentioned I'm not a roaster, but I will do my best to answer them if you send me a DM on Instagram at Brody Vissers. Send your coffee questions my way and uh, would love to put you in touch with the, with the right people or the right resources. And one last thing before you hit the road, please leave this podcast a rating and hit that follow button if you enjoyed it. That really helps us out here. And to support this show even further, please check out our sponsors in the description with links also to my YouTube, Instagram, and Patreon. See you out there.